Genesis chapter 3, in verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than other beasts of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he will bruise you on the head, and you will bruise him on the heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, and in pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I have commanded you, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it will grow for you, and you will eat the plant of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this, this incredible passage, this informative passage that clarifies for us many things, but it clarifies for us the the sinful state that we are in and why things are the way they are. And we thank you, Lord, for exposing us to this precious truth. Lord, may we apply these things. May we just be aware of these things and then live out these things daily in our life. Because they have implications to our everyday life. Lord, may may we implement them. Thank you again for your word, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. There are things that we hand down to our children, passed down from one generation to the next generation, sometimes houses, sometimes land, sometimes cars, uh, heirlooms, sometimes they're very valuable, uh, you know, collector's items, uh, baseball cards or antiques, or uh, sometimes they're character traits that within families, you kind of see these uh, things that good work ethic, or maybe musical skills that seem to to just grow in certain families, maybe traditions. Sometimes eating habits are not good to be passed down, but eating habits many times are passed down. Physical traits are passed down from one generation to the next. DNA, uh, height, uh, uh, certain certain proclivity to baldness sometimes is handed down from one generation to the next generation. Poor health can be uh, genetic defects. Uh, Those things are handed down. In this passage, we will see things that are handed down from one generation to the next generation. This is where it starts. This is the origin. And, And basically, it comes down to the sin nature. We all have a bent toward sin. Um, how do we know? Because we all sin. We see the evidence of that in our daily life. We don't have to teach our children to lie or to cheat or to, to be angry or to fight. We don't have to teach them those things. They have that proclivity to, to do that. There's another thing that we're going to see in this passage. And you're going to see... 
um, punishment, and you're going to see consequences. The punishment, sometimes we, we punish our children so that they learn uh, obedience, right? They, they, they need to learn to, to be safe, and, and we have to teach them, and sometimes it takes punishment uh, for that. But sometimes there's natural consequences that, that are even more severe than, than punishment. If a, a child touches a stove, they realize, oh, I don't want to do that again. And so they learn that. Even as adults, we learn that. And in fact, in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, it says that, that lust is actually a sin against our own bodies. And we're, it's, a, it's a, having a, a devastating effect on, and, and a self-destructing effect on our bodies, just like drugs or just like uh, even premarriage sex. There's, there's consequences to those actions many times. Gluttony. These have strong natural consequences. And those strong natural consequences, we pull our hands away from the stove and we say, ouch, I don't want to do that again. And we learn because of the regret and because of the remorse that we have, that that we learn that lesson deep down that I don't want to do that. I don't want to be participated in that sin ever again. And it has a a built-in... a learning mechanism, if you want to call it that. There are people that I hurt hurt many years ago. Um, I think of my little cousin Jonathan. Um, there, there was a group of us cousins that kind of grew up together, and we just enjoyed being together. Now he was the youngest one, right? And we didn't like him, and he just wanted to fit in. He just wanted to be part of the big cousin group. Well, we would run from him and he would, he would try to be a part of our groups and we would throw rocks at him and try to get rid of him that way. Poor kid. Um, and to this day, I can't see that guy without thinking of that and I have to apologize because I still feel bad because of the way I treated this guy. Now, he grew up and he's a success story. He's very successful and he's, he's doing very well. He's not, uh, and we didn't scar him for life or anything. But I still feel like I need to apologize him, to him. And, and uh, he has forgiven me. I don't throw rocks at him anymore, which is a... a I'm sure you like to hear that from your pastor, that I don't throw rocks. But that's a lesson that I had to learn, seared into my conscience. My parents didn't know anything about it, but I learned a lesson. that I, I can't just treat people like that. My conscience was convicted. And I built, uh, I built that into, that was built in my life because of, because of that experience. Just sin having the natural consequences and, uh, that builds into our lives. Adam and Eve are facing, uh, punishment. They, they have sinned against God. They've rebelled against God. And their sin was exposed. God sought them out and asked them questions. Their sin was exposed. They didn't handle it well. We looked at that last week. And they just piled sin upon sin by blaming each other, by blaming the circumstances. And so they become even more sinful. sinful. Giving evidence of that sin nature is, is strong within them. Instead of seeking after God, instead of pursuing God and falling down upon their faces and asking for forgiveness, instead of re, uh, trying to restore that relationship with God, they... They added to their sinfulness. 
So here they stand. They stand being ready to be punished by God. They're, they're standing in front of an angry God awaiting punishment. Now imagine that scene, how terrifying that would be. I'm reminded by Jonathan Edwards, the, uh, uh, his sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, is part of that passage that was uh, read for us earlier in Hebrews. And it describes, that Jonathan Edwards' sermons describes uh, uh, us like scurvy little spiders being hung over the pits of hell. Just by hanging on, just by a thread. And all he has to do is just let go and we would be in turmoil and eternity uh, in pain forever and ever in a lake of fire. Facing God's judgment for all eternity. That's a scary thing. And we expect the worst. Adam and Eve, I'm sure, are expecting the worst because they were told, in the day you eat from it, you will surely die. And so God is going to dish out punishment. And He does. But we also see grace here. It's a really amazing passage on grace. And we see that the God of the Old Testament is just as gracious as the God of the New Testament because there's the same God. Same God. There's really... Uh, we see we see grace. Now, he, he does mete out punishment. We do see that. But at the same time, he's pointing out the, the natural consequences of their sin. In fact, a lot of this is just the natural consequence of their now sin nature. They, they bring these things on themselves because of their sinfulness. Sin has consequences. It, it is... Sin that we are to hate, folks. We are to hate sin. We are to have the same perspective about sin that God does, and we are to hate it. Sin promises joy, but it always, always, always leads to death and destruction. There's no such thing as an innocent sin. Sin produces pain. It produces poor health, broken families. It produces bitterness and hatred and anxiety. It produces hurt and sorrow in our life. It produces lost relationships and sometimes lost money. Soiled reputations. Time wasted and and unrest in our life. Sin causes these things. It's the result of of our sinfulness that that there's misery and death in this world. And that's a strong deterrent, folks. Or it should be a strong deterrent deterrent to to, uh, uh, stay away from sin. Not only just the punishment of sin, but just the natural uh, effects of that sin. It's a deterrent. And that's what we'll see. That sin has a devastating effect in our our lives. And when we see it as God sees it, we begin to hate it. We begin to hate it. And it becomes really the biggest deterrent. And folks, we need to have God's perspective on sin. Now let me just ask you this question. We can see it on the screen. What sin do you regret most in your life? When, when I was talking just now, there's a sin that, that probably just come to your mind. And I, you have to just stop and ask, what sin was that? What, what sin was that? 
What do you say? I learned my lesson with that. That hurt so much. I never want to do that again. And it robbed me of peace. That's exactly, that's exactly the way um, Adam and Eve are feeling right now. I'm sure that's the way they felt. They, there's a gr- deep regret and remorse. We should have never done this. They've learned a lesson, but there's still consequences. There's still punishment. Now, the, the passage can be divided very easily into three little sections because God is dealing with three individuals here. He starts with the serpent and then he moves to Eve and then to Adam. But I also want you to notice the punishment that's dished out and as well as the natural consequences of their sinfulness. And those two, those things are passed from generation to generation. And we'll begin to see these things. Number one, let's look at the, the punishment and the consequences of the serpent in verse eight and verse 14. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. Now, the cattle and the creation, the rest of the creation, it's going to be cursed as well. But this this creature is cursed even beyond that. There's punishment here. And the punishment is on your belly you will go. He, we don't know what he looked like before, but now he's a, a snake. He's just slithering on the ground. And, and he's going to eat dust. It's humiliating all the days of his life. And he will have, in verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now, you have to understand here that this serpent, this snake, is, is just the, the, the animal, the physical animal, That Satan used, boy, where did that come from? Satan used to, to, uh, tempt Eve. He, um, he used the, the voice to lie and to confuse and to, to deceive Eve. And he brings, uh, he he was an accomplice, this serpent. Now notice that he's just the serpent. He was being used, but he is still guilty. I think that's interesting that God punishes this creature. Even to this day, you know, we, we, we don't like snakes. He is, he is cursed, um, slithering on the ground. He has a, a certain stigma that we even have, that we even see today. Uh, there's, he, he is to be feared. Um, is to be avoided because of that fear. All you have to do is just watch Indiana Jones, right? And you see all those snakes slithering all over the place, and it just we just don't like it. Now that's the that's the physical that's the physical serpent snake. At this point, the beginning of verse fifteen, and he will put enmity, and I will put enmity between you and this. That's when he he turns then also to Satan who has used the snake. So he turns his attention to to Satan here, and both will be will be uh, there will be enmity between uh, the woman and the serpent, enmity between the serpent or, uh, the Satan and the woman as well. So both are are here. But I want you to notice, so he turns his attention to Satan, and I want you to notice that he doesn't ask the why question to to the serpent. In Adam and Eve's case, why did you do this? And he's probing and forcing them to to look at what they've done. But with the serpent, 
With Satan, he doesn't ask that question because there's no grace that's going to be given to him. No grace. Also, I want you to notice here in this little verse that uh, this is not just about the man and the woman. It's not just about this serpent tempting Adam and Eve. No, at this point, God pulls back the curtain and we see a bigger picture here. He has to pull back the curtain so that we see the gravity of the situation. That the reality is that this serpent, this uh, Satan, is attempting to usurp the throne of God. And he is stealing mankind away, the whole human race, uh, race away from God himself. And the thing is, is he was successful in doing so. It looks like he's won. Because of this sinful nature now as in Adam and Eve, they've joined uh, Satan's uh, rebel forces and, and, and it looks like he's won now. And that's, that's the situation. So God has to pull back and what we see here is there's three or four things that I want you to see. In verse 15, verse 15 is a very famous passage, just a famous verse and one of the most famous verses in all of the Old Testament. There's three things that I want you to notice here. And that's the future tense of this passage. In verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is, this is future. This is something that's going to happen within uh, Adam and Eve's, you know, from this day forward. If you will, this is a prophetic struggle that's going to happen. And we've seen it happen for 4,000 years, 6,000 years. In fact, we look in Scripture and it's going to still happen, continue to happen until Revelation chapter 20. And this is a struggle between good and evil and righteousness and unrighteousness and God's people and the people of Satan. And we're right in the middle. We we look back at it. It's been going on for that many years. And we look forward because it's still going to go on until God brings it to an end. It's a war. It's an all-out war. Until we see Revelation chapter 20, the second coming of Christ. And, and He puts an end to this thing. So it's futuristic. Number two, another thing that you want to see is the tense of the words here. The word seed... I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Now, the word seed there is is offspring. And it implies multiple seed. It implies more than just more than just one. <clears throat> when a baby is is born uh, in the to the human race, he is born actually with that sin nature. With that bent toward sin, that proclivity to sin, and he is under then Satan's domain. That's a scary thought to us, but that's the that's the case. He is being influenced. He is under the control of Satan himself. That, that's the way we all were, according to Ephesians chapter two. And if God didn't uh, intentionally and deliberately. Uh, intervene in the man's life, we would still be in that situation. Now, God then has to step in and, and He is going to call out to Himself a people for Himself. Now, that's what we see in the New Testament. Uh, we, we've looked at First Peter in the past uh, few months, but 
First uh, Peter chapter two. But I, I want you to notice here's here's the characteristics of of God's people in Ezekiel chapter thirty six and verse twenty four. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 24 says this, For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into one land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and I will clean you and I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idolatry or idols. Now He's talking to Israel here. Here's what I'm going to do for you. And he, then he goes a little bit deeper. And this is where I think, and he's going to do this for future Israel. He hasn't done this for Israel yet. He's going to do this for future Israel. And what we see is, is he's going to create a, a special people. Verse 26, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone and I will, and uh, stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and I will I will and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. That this is what God does when he gets a hold of a life, he changes that person so much so that we say that they're born again. He puts the Holy Spirit within them. Now this is this is talking about Israel um, that what God is going to do on national Israel, but he's done it already for the church. He's begun to, to show Israel what it can be like to make Israel jealous. And that's the, that's the case. And, and he is creating for himself. He has created from generation to generation. He's created a people for himself, a remnant. And that's the seed that's talked about here. This is the, the good seed. And so it's a group of people that are devoted to the Lord. And what we see then is the human race really is divided into two categories. Those who love God, those who are redeemed, and those who are rebelling against God and love self and are following Satan. This is a beautiful picture, folks. A beautiful picture. God says, is saying to Satan here, I can take these two and out of these two rebels, I'm going to produce a, a spiritual group of people. From a second Adam, I'm going to produce a, um, a people who are born again, who love me and devoted to me. And that's what we see has happened throughout generations, from one generation to the next generation. And ultimately, he's going to have victory over Satan. Now, another thing that you need to note here. So that's the word seed. In the middle of verse 15, we see, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now it gets very specific here. From this seed of the woman that he's referring to here, there's going to be, in this group of godly people, there's going to be one that stands out. This one person is going to stand out, and we know, we're looking back from the New Testament perspective, we know that that's a Savior, and that's Christ Himself. Now, the theologians call this the proto-evangelium. This is the first mention of the gospel in the whole of the, of the, the Bible. First mention of the good news. And the battle between good and evil is going to come down to two things. It's going to come down to, uh, two people. Satan 
and Christ. Satan and Christ. Christ is going to get the ultimate victory here. But he's going to suffer a flesh wound. He's going to be bruised on his heel. But Satan is going to receive the the crushing blow. He's going to be bruised on his head. Crushing blow like that. So Christ is going to be the victor after he suffers this head wound. That's the picture that's being painted for us. Christ will also deliver us. And, and he has done this already on the cross. If you look over, and I believe I have it on the screen, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13 to 15. Let me read this passage for you. It's a wonderful passage. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13. And when you were dead in your trespasses and, you're, and uncircumcised in your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us, All our trespasses, our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which uh, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That was the death blow. All of our sins nailed to the cross when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities that Satan himself and have made public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. That him is Christ. Christ did that. That's the death blow for Satan. You say, well, Satan's still alive and well, it seems like. Yes, he's moving along and he's moving around. It's like crushing the head of a snake. It may flip its tail a little bit, but eventually it will die. It'll stop. That's what we see. That's the picture that's given to us here. So we see the punishment for Satan is, is he's going to be crushed. But the natural consequences of this is that the war is going to continue on. Satan thinks he won at Adam and Eve. He thinks he won there because he's got the whole human race now because of this sinful effect that that is going to have on every generation after this. But Satan's going to find out that God is going to raise up a godly generation. And that's what we see. From generation to generation, there's going to be some, a remnant within that generation that's going to love God. And it's going to irritate Satan to death. And that war is going to continue to rage. This is the picture. From the very first two children, one raises up and kills the other. God... God uh, works in Abraham's life, produces a nation. Satan comes along and um, and he contaminates this nation to the point that they're useless to God. But out of that nation comes a child born, this special one. And Satan uh, acts, uh, reacts, and, and he nails this one to the cross. And only to find out, he looks back, only to find out that's his own death blow because of the atonement for man because of the the redemption that happened and satan is always playing this game it's always playing catch-up god does something satan has its counterfeit god creates a church satan has a, a counterfeit church out there and the battle continues to rage until we see revelation chapter 20 and christ comes back now the question for us as far as application right is Which side are you on? You have to ask yourself that question. 
Which side are you on? We can be like Paul sometimes, I think. And in fact, it's, it's stated in the New Testament, there's going to be people like that. That think they're fighting for good, but they're actually fighting for evil. They're, they're fighting God Himself. They, they are defending the lies of Satan sometimes. And, and it can be in various ways. We fight against sometimes tradition and we wind up seeing that, oh man, we're fighting against our own selves. We're fighting against God's Word. We, sometimes we're, we're fighting against the elders and we don't even realize it. We need to be careful. In Matthew chapter 7, Christ said, there's going to be people that, that say unto me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that in your name? And he's going to say, I never knew you. We have to ask the question, which side are you on? Which side are you really fighting for? And it comes down to, comes down to the lifestyle that you're living, the, the gospel that you're promoting. The weapon that we have is, is the gospel and, and, the, uh, and the changed life, the light that we live in this world. Which side are you on? We have to ask that, have to ask that question. Number two, God then turns his attention to Eve. And this is interesting. Look at verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, and yet your, yet your desire will be toward your husband, and he will rule over you. Now there's two elements to Eve's life that are going to be affected here. First of all, the first role that, that's going to be affected is, is her ability to carry life and to produce life. The very thing that God has designed her to do is now going to be painful. It's now going to hurt. And the pain of childbirth is, is just a constant reminder from generation to generation that uh, the woman gave birth to sin into this human race. And it's passed down from one generation to the next generation through that childbirth. Now, also, and I need to say this at this time, the Lord turns that around. This is a wonderful picture. The Lord turns that around in 1 Timothy chapter um, 2 and verse 15 and, uh, and reminds the woman, this is Paul talking to Timothy here and talking to the church at Ephesus in chapter 2 verse 15. He says, but women will be Preserved, the word literally is saved, not salvation kind of saved, but in a sense that's the case, this salvation through the bearing of children. She continues to raise a godly generation from one generation to the next generation, and through that, the, the, the Lord brings a Savior. That's the picture. That's what Paul has in mind here. And the, the stigma of the woman is not just with bringing sin into the world, but a producing of life and a godly seed, a godly generation. And that's the picture. Now, the other thing that's frustrating the woman is not just the pain in childbirth, a, a punishment uh, of, of the pain in childbirth, but the consequences of her relationship with her husband because she, she plays the role of the helper. Verse, the middle of verse 16. Yet your desire will be toward your husband, for your husband. The word yet is not in the original. 
your desire will be toward your husband. And he will rule over you. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, what does the word desire there mean? Some people say, well, it means sexual desire. Uh, you, you, will, you will desire him in a sexual kind of way. It, that really doesn't fit the context. It doesn't fit the context of person or uh, uh, persecution or um, punishment or the results of sin, anything like that. So, so I don't think it would mean that. Some people say, well, it means desire in a good way. He's, she's going to love her husband and desire to, to love him, and yet he's going to reject her and, and kind of rule over her. But I don't think that, that fits the context either. The best way we can determine this is look at the word desire. And we see how the word is used and the sentence structure is the same in Genesis chapter 4, just a few pages over, the next page over, Genesis chapter 4, and beginning in verse 6, we'll see how it's used. Then the Lord God said to Cain, so you get the context here, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? He, if you do well, will your countenance not be lifted up? Why do you look so down and dejected? If you do what is right, you're going to be you're going to be smiling. There's going to be a change of attitude there. And he will. And if you do what is if you do well, if you do not do well, he says, sin is crouching at the door, and it does its desire is for you. But you must master it. That's the same structure, same word there. And the idea is sin is crouching at the door just like a lion. And he's going to rule over you, Cain. You better master it. And that's the idea. Sin wants to rule us. Sin wants to master us. It wants to have dominion over our life. That's the idea when you go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 16... Your desire will be for your husband. Your, your desire, your natural proclivity now, because of this sin nature, is to, to rule him. To dominate him. And to, to have dominion over him. And so then he's going to have to have dominion over you. And now there's a couple of elements to that. Uh, Adam has the, the natural role there to lead his his wife, and so just by the creation order and by God's design, he has that authority to lead. But I think the idea here is when, when she reacts to, to dominate him, and that desire to have control over him, he's going to have to react and, and even more force to control her, to, to hold her back from her own sinfulness. That's kind of the picture here. That's the picture. That's what's being said. Now, it's not punishment necessarily. It's just the natural inclination of their own heart. It's the natural result of sin. Once where humility was, now there's pride. There's domination. There's control. I want my way. There's selfishness. And that's, that's the idea. Punishment is the pain the natural consequences of her sin is going to affect the role of her between her and her husband. The, the inclination to master him, to, to dominate him. And it kind of reminds me of, of Proverbs chapter 14. You can see it on the screen. Proverbs 14. 
It says this, and here's the, flesh this out a little bit. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hand. She, she undermines his authority, just tearing her house down, tearing her husband down. Just reminding him how stupid he is, how deficient he is, how lazy he is, how sinful he is. And she just keeps tearing it down, tearing that house down. The wise woman builds it up, pulls back, doesn't want to have dominion. Doesn't say, you'll never measure up, you'll never be good. And that's the way sin works, isn't it? That's the way sin deals in a heart. The natural consequences of Eve's sin is just to, to dominate. Now, so you have the battle of the sexes begin, if you want to call it that. And the war is raging about that. And this is a, a warning, because we see it all throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament. I, I don't have time to, to work all this out. But what we see is the world feeding this idea, telling our young ladies these lies, a different perspective from what the Bible says. And this, there's, there's like a, a feeding frenzy that's, that's going on here uh, of self-promotion and, and, and breaking the glass ceiling. I want it my way. And, and there's a, a control factor, a, a fighting factor, a, a tension there. And it's going to always be there. And we have to ask ourselves, ladies, I have to ask you, how are you doing in this area? Um, how are we training up our young ladies? Because the world is teaching them self-promotion, teaching them... Uh, uh, a, a different attitude than this. Do not let a man dominate you. Do not let a, don't submit to them. Don't let them master you. And you see the old war just uh, carrying on. You see, what in the world do we do? Because if we teach our children, if we teach our young ladies to submit, then, then men will take advantage of them. This is why it's so important that you seek after a godly man that has the same kind of attitude here, the same Holy Spirit, the same effect of, of love and work of the Holy Spirit in his life that, that will be gracious in his leadership over her. Now that's what the Bible is saying. I'm just laying it out here. This is what God said. Here's what, here's the natural proclivity of your life now, Eve. Here's what you're going to do. He's going to have to react in this way. And it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to deal with. But it's a reality. It's a reality that the world does not want to face, that we as Christians have to face and say, yes, that's the result of sin. Now let's look at the last point here. And he dresses Adam. We can move through this quickly, verse 17. Then to Adam, he says, now what he's doing here is he's explaining the offense to Adam. Men, this is a good way to deal with your children in a punishment kind of situation. Um, He asked Adam, he he says to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. So he's nailing down. Here's exactly what you did, Adam. You listened to the voice of your wife. And you eat from the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat from it. 
So you see what he's doing. He's laying it out. Here's what I said, Adam. Here's what you did. And you pull together. And here's I'm justified and justified in punishing you. And here's the here's the punishment. Cursed is the ground because of you. So that's the punishment. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, here's the natural result of that. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles, it will grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. You used to be just pick the fruit and, and, and that was good. Now you have to plant and you have to yield that, uh, that wheat and, and produce these things. It's, it's not going to grow for you as easily, Adam. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread until you return to the ground. So the very thing that Adam enjoyed doing, the very joy of his life, the very joy of his life is, is being taken away here because he listened to the voice of his wife. He rejected God's voice. He listened to her voice. Maybe he justified to say, I love her so much. I can't not, I can't say no to that woman. And he listened to the voice of his wife and did not listen to the voice of God. And so the roles were reversed. He became a follower of Eve instead of leading. Eve then, on the other hand, she took herself out from underneath Adam's leadership and Adam's counsel and Adam's protection. And she took matters into her own hands and listened to the voice of who? Satan. Became independent of her husband. So you have role reversal right off the bat. Role reversal. Punishment. Ground is is going to be punished. All the joy of your work is going to be taken away. It's going to work. You're going to have to work hard just to produce. The, the, the ground is not going to want to produce. It's going to resist. And eventually, Adam, it's going to swallow you up in death. You're going to be going back to the ground. Back to the ground. And the consequences is just hard work. Thorns and thistles. I'm driving uh, my tractor over the summer uh, the, the lawnmower and, and uh, just going along the edge of nature, trying to push nature back, cutting the grass. But all of a sudden, thorns and thistles reach out and just grab my whole left side and my arm and my leg and just scratch me. And it hurt. It hurt. Men... You just, you just have to change the, the little hose to the back of your dishwasher. Easy job, right? Five minutes, you'll be done. You, you go, you better go and you better get every tool that you have to, to, and bring it down here to this particular spot so you can get this job done. Because you know it is not just a five minute job. It's going to take a long time. By the sweat of your face. We have to work hard. It does not come easy to us anymore. But that's what happens. It's the natural effect of our own sinfulness. Is that we rebel against the life giver God Himself. And we separate ourselves from that life giver. Then we begin to die. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They begin, they, they died spiritually on that day. They begin to die physically on that day. And they would have died eternally on that day, except God stepped in and He was very gracious. 
The very thing that Adam loved most was taken away from him because of his own sinfulness. The joy of, of work. We still have a little bit of that. We have to work harder just to produce. Now let me ask this question. We're, this is the, we're going to wind up with this. How can we love sin, folks? The devastating effects, the consequences of our own sinfulness. How do we love that? How do we live in that environment? We cannot love sin. There's no innocent sin. It's terrible. It disrupts peace and, and harmony. It produces death. It's like loving war. How do we love war? There's nothing good. We look, we're seeing a war there today. How do you love a, a car wreck? How do you love uh, death? You, you can't. We need to see sin from God's perspective and we need to hate it. We need to hate it. We see the punishment, the consequences of these sins. Sin is devastating. It's a natural learning effect on our life and, and, and we realize how hate how much we should hate it and and it's the biggest deterrent we should hate it as though as the, as god hates it let me say this sin is piling up what we see in scripture sin is piling up day after day sin after sin and someday the god of wrath his grace will end his patience will, with man will end and he will unleash his wrath upon man someday. We must be ready. What are we passing down? What are we passing down to our children? Passing down sin nature. But are you trying to correct that? We're trying to point these things out. Look, here's your natural tendency is selfishness and, and pride. But listen, there's humility that is necessary. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, the warnings that we see in Scripture. And Lord, as we, as we prepare our children, as we raise up a godly generation, help us, to, help us to allow them to be warned by sinfulness, the natural consequences of our own sinfulness. And may we point those things out in their own heart so that they, so that they will be reticent about sinning may we present a a picture of sin that is devastating and is hurtfulness has terrible effects lord may we see sin as you see it and live appropriately in that sight and we pray these things in jesus name amen